Amen. That's a good singing once again. Wonderful truths that we've been singing about in these gospel hymns. If you turn with me once again to that chapter we read, John chapter 5. Read here in this portion of the healing of an impotent man. A man who was without strength. A man, you could say, who was without hope. And yet the gospel presents that there is hope even for those who feel that there is none. And this man is a tremendous example of that. But before we come to the preaching, let's all tell ourselves once again, let's all pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we come before Thee even thinking about those words which have come forth from our lips, how we can come out of bondage, out of sorrow, out of darkness and night, and we can come unto our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, one who gives eternal life, one who has conquered death and the grave. Now we recognize that thy word gives us many invitations to come unto the Savior. And so, Lord, we think about those who may be here tonight and they have yet to come to thee. We ask that they would even come unto thee this evening, that they would hear the gospel invitation and that they would even respond to it even with saving faith, which is given to them by the gift of God. We ask that thou wouldst bless the preaching of thy word. We ask for the infilling of thy Holy Spirit. Give help to myself as I would seek to preach forth the unsearchable riches of Christ. And also give help to those in the pew, that they would even understand the wonderful depths of the mercy of God. O Lord, we ask that thou wouldst continue with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. As I've already said, the portion that we have before us in John chapter 5 presents a tremendous story of the healing of one known as the impotent man. That word impotent, it simply means without strength. Here we have before us a man who was uh, coming to the Lord with a terrible sickness. We don't know exactly what it was. Some have said that it could have been the palsy that this man had. That meant that he, he couldn't walk and he, he couldn't move. But we, we, we do not know for sure what this sickness was. But we know that this man had a terrible sickness. And the opening verses of John chapter 5 presents a, a most solemn and sobering view. Because in the first four verses we read of how there is a, a great multitude of people with all manner of sickness and disease. We have the Lord coming to Jerusalem at, at a time where we see a, a, in verse 1 is known as a feast of the Jews. Some commentators have suggested that this was the feast of the Passover. That was why the, the Lord was traveling to Jerusalem at this time. 
And as he travels to Jerusalem, he comes to a place where we see in verse 2 where there is a place known as the sheep market. And beside this market is a pool called Bethesda. This pool, it was likely used by those sheep traders in the, in the market to wash and to clean off those sheep as they prepared them to send them away to the temple for sacrifices and offerings unto the Lord. But this pool, we see, had a secondary function. Because verse 3 tells us that in the porches around this pool lay a great multitude of impotent folk. Here we see a most distressing scene. Many men and women and perhaps even children sitting around this pool unable to move, unable to live normal lives because they are filled and consumed by terrible disease. And you know that scene set before us is a, a picture of the world. All in this world have a terrible disease. All in this world have been infected with the disease of sin. They are without strength, spiritually speaking. And yet we see that there, there is mercy to be found for those who have no strength. For those who are unable to save themselves. Those who are unable to rid themselves and eradicate the disease which they are infected with. Verse 4 speaks of how an angel went down to this pool and touched the waters and, and gave the waters healing properties. Now, there's some uncertainty as to when this first began to happen or, or why exactly this was done. But we, we see that this was something that did happen, that whenever the water was troubled and one went into the water, they were healed of their disease. And we come to one man in particular in verse 5. Verse 5 says that there was a certain man there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. Here is a man who seemed to have no hope. A man who had been in this condition for a long, long time. A man who could see hope. A man who must have even known people who had been healed from their disease, and yet he has remained unchanged. Now maybe that speaks to someone here this evening. You are within grasp of, of hope. You are here in a gospel service. You've heard many times before of what you must do to be eradicated from this disease which has infected your soul, and yet you're unchanged. Yet this passage we have before us from verse 5 down through to verse 9, we see how there is hope to be found. Here was a man who thought, well, maybe I can be saved by my own actions. Maybe if I get down to this pool, I will be able to be saved from this disease. But yet it was only when the Lord came that this man found deliverance. And so that's what we want to think about this evening, just very simply, deliverance from hopelessness. Because this man was delivered from a seemingly hopeless situation. 
And I want you to consider first of all with me the condition this man faced. Now we've already said that we we are not told what exactly was wrong with this man. Verse 5 simply says that there was a certain man there which had an infirmity. It doesn't say exactly what was wrong with him. And yet there are certain truths that we can draw forth from this passage about the condition that this man found himself in. Seems a very simple thought to say this, but this man had an obvious problem. It was obvious to to all around that this man had something wrong with him. Now, authors, we read in verse 7, took advantage of his condition because they they saw this man couldn't get to the pool, and so they rushed in front of him to get there first. His condition was obvious to all of them. They saw here as an impotent man, a man without strength, a man who cannot walk. Indeed, the obviousness of his condition is seen in those opening words of verse 5 where it says, and a certain man. Now that phrase, you might pass over it when you're reading and you might think, well, it's it's just highlighting that here is an individual now that is in view. But this is an individual who it was obvious to all that he was in this condition. Here's a certain man. I'm sure many around that pool, they they knew who this man was. They knew, uh, here's that man, he's been here for 38 years and he's, he's yet unchanged. You know, that same phrase is used of blind Bartimaeus. I think it's the, the account in the Gospel of Luke. It says there, there was a certain man. I didn't name Bartimaeus. But just said a certain man because he was known of those around the city of Jericho as being blind. And here again in this portion we have the phrase a certain man indicating he was known for his condition. You know, maybe you were known by your family or friends as someone who's far away from God. Someone who is unchanged, spiritually speaking. Perhaps you're known as one who lives life in a carefree manner. Perhaps you're known as one who curses God. One who does all that you can to stand against God and the gospel. Perhaps you're a certain man or a certain woman. And it's obvious to all that you have the condition of sin. And you know, Scripture clearly shows us that there is this obvious problem within the soul of man. I'm sure I don't need to tell you those, those well-known verses that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Or there is none righteous, no, not one. Or there is none that doeth good. Well, the Word of God tells us very clearly that there is an obvious problem with men. There is this obvious problem of sin. If you even look within yourself and within your own heart, you will understand this truth that sin is a very obvious problem in this world. Or you don't have to teach anyone to do things that are wrong. You don't have to teach a small child to to lie. You don't have to teach a a child what what it is to, to steal something. 
Oh, I, I'm sure you can think of a time when you have lied to someone or you have tried to deceive someone or you have borne false witness against someone or you have done uh, something else whereby you have taken something away that shouldn't belong to you. Well, sin is a very obvious problem. And yet it is a, a problem that so many gloss over today. They don't want to hear anything about sin. They, they don't want to think of themselves, well, I, I have an, an, an obvious problem. But here in this passage before us, this man understood that he had an obvious problem. Uh, it's very simply borne forth by the fact that this man was sat beside the pool Bethesda. That name, Bethesda, it's of great significance. It means house of mercy. This man, he went to a place where mercy could be found. He understood, well, I, I know I have a problem. I, I, I know that there, there is this great condition which I, I, I am suffering from. Indeed, he was suffering for 38 years. Half a lifetime. And he knew that, well, I, I have this problem. But you know, friends, it's one thing to know that you have the condition of sin. It's a totally different thing to do something about it. This man, he, he hadn't done anything about his condition, for he was just lying there beside the pool. Oh, he saw mercy just within his eyesight, but he had never got there. Maybe you have heard the gospel time and time again, and you have never entered in through Christ the open door. Well, his condition was obvious, but his condition was also serious. Because he had had this infirmity 38 years. Now, this was not something that came and went in a short period of time. It wasn't just some virus that he had that lingered for a short time and then he was well again. It wasn't some broken bone that, while it might have taken a lengthy period of time to heal, it, 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 it would eventually heal. No, this was some incurable disease. This was something for which he, he couldn't find any cure. I'm sure this man, uh, throughout those 38 years, he had tried to find ways to heal himself. I'm sure he was like that woman who had the issue of blood, who had gone to many doctors to try and find some cure, but was unable to. But this man, we, we see how this was a serious condition by the fact that he had an infirmity. It was a long-time illness but also he was unable to move under his own power. Or it seemed that he had great difficulty. Because in verse 7 he, he complains about how whenever that water was troubled, he had no man to carry him to the pool. What suggests he had either limited or no mobility. He was unable to walk. He was in a miserable condition. It was a distressing condition. But worse still, he had a disease that would stay with him until he died. Ultimately, this disease, this impotency that he had, it would lead to his death. Well, does this not cause us to think about sin, the seriousness of sin? How that when sin is finished, bringeth forth death. Or oh, the word of God says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. 
when Adam and Eve, they ate of the forbidden fruit, what, were, what was told to them? They said, and the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You see, sin is a serious problem. Sin brings death. And, and it doesn't just bring physical death, although that is bad. It also brings spiritual death. Whenever the soul is cast into that place of torment called hell. But you know it's also an eternal death. There is no reprieve from hell. There is no second chance available. There is no way of escape once you have gone into hell. Oh, sin is a most serious problem. It's not to be taken lightly. And you see how this man's, heal, this man's condition, it prevented him from receiving healing. It prevented him from having any hope. He was just lying there, distressed with his condition. And he knew, I'm going to die because of this problem. Well, if you continue in that state of sin, you'll be like this man. You'll feel there's no hope. A distressing situation. Heading towards death. Heading towards hell. This man's condition was serious. It was obvious, but it was also onerous. It was burdensome to him. It caused him great grief and distress. I'm sure you can imagine being in this man's position for 38 years. 38 long, distressing years. He had this burden upon him as he wondered, how am I ever going to be rid of this problem? Oh, sin is a great burden upon the soul. Perhaps you're familiar with the work of John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, and how that character Pilgrim, he has on his back a great big burden. He's weighed down with the, the sense of his sin, and he, he's wondering, how can I ever be rid of this burden upon my back? Well, this man, he had a burden... He was suffering for almost four decades. He knew no respite from his suffering. He found no peace. He found no, no stillness of soul. You know, all he had been able to do was to arrive in the vicinity of the pool. But he was unable to enter into it. Oh, there he, he was able to see within a close distance. I, I could be saved. But I am unable of myself to be saved. And that speaks to us of how the sinner is marked with total inability. You see, man, naturally speaking, is unable to receive salvation. Man is unable to save himself. Salvation is of the Lord. You know, that's it. The word of God says that by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. There has to be that enlightenment by the Lord. Man's heart is naturally hardened against the gospel. Man's heart is naturally at enmity with God. And maybe that speaks to you this evening. You are hardened against the gospel. You need the Lord to soften your heart. 
You need the Lord to come and, and to, to speak to your soul. To show you that you are in need of salvation this evening. And yet here you are another time hearing the gospel being proclaimed. Another opportunity has been afforded to you. Oh, don't waste your opportunity as this man wasted time and time and time again. As he saw those waters being troubled, yet he didn't enter into them. You know, the word of God says in Proverbs 29 and the verse 1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Oh, he that hardeneth his neck, he that remains steadfast against the gospel, even though he is often reproved, even though he is often told of his need of salvation, he'll be destroyed. And that without remedy. No second chances. No second hope. No other day of grace. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Oh, we see the condition this man faced, but secondly also notice the compassion this man felt. Because although this man was in a wretched state, although this man was suffering from a terrible condition, the Savior did not pass him by. Wasn't that a wonderful thought? That the Lord did not pass this man by, but he had compassion and mercy upon this man. For those of us who are saved this evening, we can think about this great truth that although we were sinners, the Lord did not pass us by. You know, often I, can, I think about that and I wonder, you know, why would the Lord ever save a wretch like me? Why would the Lord pass over so many people to save a soul like mine? And yet we, we see the great compassion of the Lord and that he is interested in the individual. Because the Lord Jesus Christ had a personal interest in this impotent man. The Lord knew all about his struggles. The Lord knew what this man was suffering from. The Lord knew what he was going through. The Lord saw his sickness. But you know, even more importantly, the Lord saw and understood that this man's greatest problem was not his sickness. He understood his greatest need was salvation. Because if you look down through the chapter to verse 14, you'll see that the, the Savior had this thought of sin and salvation clearly, clearly in view whenever he healed this man. Because in verse 14 we read, And afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, Sin no more. And so we see that here is not just the healing of an impotent man, but here is the salvation of a soul. Here is the Lord who is interested in the individual. And the Lord understood that this man's sickness was a cause of sin. Now when I say that, I don't mean that this man had done something particularly sinful in his life that meant he was uh, made such a suffering and distressed man. I, I'm not saying that sickness or disease comes as a result necessarily of some wrong that you have done. But what I, I'm getting at is that 
sin is the cause of sickness, and that whenever man sinned, whenever man fell, death entered into the world, and therefore sickness came into this world. And the Lord understood this, and he saw the effects which sin had on humanity, and he had compassion. We know that as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Well, the Lord understood this. He recognized that this man, he is suffering because of a consequence of sin. This man, he is a sinner, and the Lord had compassion upon this sinful man. And we see the the Savior's compassion in two aspects. And the first one is because the Lord saw this man. Read verse 6 with me once again, and you'll see this truth. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been in it now a long time in that case. When Jesus saw him, the Lord looked upon this man. The Lord was walking into Jerusalem, and remember, he is surrounded by a multitude of impotent folk. But the Lord saw this man. The Lord's eyes fell upon this individual, and the Lord had compassion upon this man. You know, the Lord, he sees each one of us. The Lord sees you, and he sees me. But in the case of salvation, it's even more incredible that the Lord looks upon the individual, that the Lord would have mercy upon one over others. Now, this is a truth that no man can fully understand, the sovereignty of God in election. And yet we we see that the, the sovereignty of God in election is a great illustration of the compassion of God, for he does not pass us over in our sin. But he saw this man, this man who was poor and needy, this man who was distressed, this man who had a great burden upon his back. The Savior saw him. You know, the Lord sees the condition of the sinful and he's filled with compassion. There are so many examples throughout Scripture where we could consider this fact. Think about Peter. There when the Lord was in the the house of the high priest and Peter denied the Lord three times. What do we read in Luke 22 and and the verse 61? Read the words that say, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. There just the look of the Savior caused conviction in Peter. The look of the loving and the merciful and the gracious Savior Cause Peter to understand, I have sinned. What great compassion is found in the look of the Savior. But perhaps we can see it even in a fuller sense in the parable of the the prodigal son. Because in, in Luke chapter 15, which describes this parable of the prodigal son, in Luke 15 and, and the verse 20, we read these wonderful words where we see the, the compassion of the Savior illustrated. Because here in the parable, the, the son has returned to the father's house, and we read these words. And he arose and came to his father. 
But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Oh, see the compassion of the father to sinful men. There the prodigal son, he was a great way off in the distance. But the father saw him. The father saw this prodigal son who had sinned against him. And he had compassion upon him and ran towards the son. Isn't that a tremendous thought? I wonder, have you considered that, that the father ran to the son? Not the other way around. It was the father who showed compassion. And so the Savior shows compassion to sinful men and women. What a tremendous thought it is, the look of the Lord. It's a look of mercy. He doesn't look at us with disgust. He doesn't look at us and see our sinful nature and be reviled, find it vile and horrid and wretched. No, he looks on us in pity. Or even consider there how as the Lord was heading towards Jerusalem before his crucifixion, he looked over the city and he wept over that city. He saw there are sinners in that city and he was filled with compassion. But the Lord's compassion isn't just evident in this portion by the fact that he saw this man, but also by the fact that he spoke to this man. Because while he had looked upon this man, that wouldn't have really evidenced and demonstrated his compassion fully to the man himself. This man, he really understood the compassion of the Savior by the fact that he spoke to him. Even think of the, the parable of the product or of the, the, the Good Samaritan. Remember that parable where that, that man he went down towards Jericho and he was accosted by the thieves and the robbers and along came the, the Pharisee and he, he saw the man, but he walked to the other side of the road and walked past him. Oh yes, he, he saw there is a man who is suffering, there is a man who needs help, a man who needs mercy, but he didn't he didn't do anything for the man. But then along came that good Samaritan who saw him and then he spoke to him and he cared for him. And the Lord does the same here in this example of this impotent man because he sees him and then he speaks words of comfort to this man. Do you see those first words that the Lord spoke to him? They come in the form of a question. The end of verse 6, the Savior says, Wilt thou be made whole? Oh, the Lord saw this man particularly. He saw this man out of the, the vast multitude and he speaks to him personally. And while this might seem strange why the Lord was asking the question, yet he was asking it because he was showing this man, I am willing to show compassion upon you. I am willing to be merciful to you. Oh, indeed, the, the Lord worded this question in such a way to say, you know, it is possible for you to be healed. Do you actually, genuinely, sincerely want to be healed? You know, sincerity must come into the equation whenever repentance comes to fore. You must be genuine in wanting to be saved. 
There must be a sincerity in coming before the Lord seeking for forgiveness. And the Savior is saying here to this man, are you genuinely wanting to be healed? Wilt thou be healed? Are you willing to be healed? And you know, the Lord, in asking that question, he provides hope for this man. Because remember, this man had been living in what he had thought was a hopeless situation. But now the Lord says, well, there is healing to be found for you. There is hope. There is deliverance. There is salvation that you can have. Or he provides a message of deliverance. A message of hope. And that is what the gospel message is. It is not a a message which speaks fear and dread and damnation. No, it is a message of hope. A message of good news. A message of deliverance from bondage of sin. A message of salvation. And so this man, he was asked the question, do you want to be saved? The Lord saw him and he has compassion. He's, He's realized this man, he has a greater need here. And he wants to understand, is this man willing to come unto me by faith? The Lord is saying there, there is another way to be healed. It's, it's not by the pool, but it's by believing upon my word. And that is how you can be saved this evening. By believing upon the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Lord gives many invitations to, to all of us. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You have to come to Christ. There is a a responsibility on the behalf of man to respond to the gospel message. And the Lord's saying here, I am willing to show compassion to you if you are only willing to accept. Oh, I wonder, are you willing to accept of the Lord's invitation this evening to come unto him? We see the condition this man faced the compassion this man felt, but notice finally the cure this man found. Because the man found relief from his condition which he had been suffering from. After giving an excuse in verse 7 as to why he was yet unhealed, the Lord says to him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. Well, this man who had been impotent This man who had been without strength, this man who had been unable to walk, he hears words of life. The Lord says, rise up and walk. You know, on other occasions in the Gospels, we read of whenever the the Savior healed certain individuals that the Lord touched them. But here the Lord did not touch this man. He simply spoke to him. This man was saved by the power of the Word of God. And the Word of God still has the same power today. God's Word is a living Word. God's Word is the words of eternal life. God's Word is able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Indeed, Simon Peter said of the Savior, whenever the Lord asked them who they thought he was, Peter said to them, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. 
the words of the Savior are able to give eternal life to the sinner. And the Lord saved this man through the power of his word alone. But we notice a few thoughts about the cure that this man found in verse 9. For having heard these words of life in verse 8, we see the effects of the reception of this word by faith. Because we see, firstly, that his cure was immediate. Verse 9 says, And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed. Oh, there was no delay There is no lengthy period between hearing these words of life and his healing. There is not a lengthy process that he had to go through to confirm that he had been made whole, that he had received this healing and this cleansing. No, it happened immediately. And so it is whenever one believes on the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive them for their sins, there is an immediate cleansing from unrighteousness. You can know with full assurance tonight that if you repent of your sin, you'll be saved immediately. You know, this man's cure was immediate. This man's cure was total. For it says, immediately the man was made whole. All of his disease was removed. All of his malady and sickness and illness was completely eradicated. All of the effects which he had been suffering were totally gone. He was now able to walk. He was now able to live a life that he hadn't known was possible. And so it is when a sinner is saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a total eradication of the problem of sin in terms of the record which God keeps. We read in God's word that the Lord blots out our sins. That the Lord removes our sins. That our sins are no longer held on God's record against us. See, there is a total healing from the disease of sin. Now, I do have to add to that, that while God removes our sin from us, we do still sin in this life. But it's not held against us. God forgets our sin as well as forgives our sin. And he quickens those who had been dead in trespasses and sin. This man was a totally new person. And so we know that those who have been saved by God's grace become a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. All things are become new. But if I leave one final thought before you this evening about the cure that this man found, I want you to think about the fact that this cure was commanded. This cure was not presented to this man as an option, but it was a command of the Savior to rise and to take up his bed. This command was written in the imperative tense. It is a tense which says, this is something you must do. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And so the command is given to all this evening that you must repent of your sin. The Lord doesn't say in his word, well, it is an option for you. It is something you might choose to do. No, the Lord says, repent and be ye converted. It is something which is essential, something which is important, something which you must do. 
And what a change was made in this man's life. A man who had suffered for 38 years. A man who thought, I'm in a hopeless situation. There's no hope for me. I, I'm, I'm going to die because of this illness. And yet he found deliverance in the state of his hopelessness. Maybe you feel tonight that you are in a hopeless situation. Maybe you have, like this man, seen others saved from their problems, yet you're unchanged. Well, there is mercy and compassion to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ, one who looks upon the sinful and has compassion to them. Oh, the question must be asked to you tonight, like it was asked of this man, Wilt thou be made whole? Will you not come to faith in Christ this evening? Will you not repent of your sin? Will you not receive the cleansing that is to be found in Jesus Christ's blood? May these words be a blessing to all of our heart. May we not go away without thinking upon the importance of them, but may we understand the necessity to be converted. Let's all come before the Lord in prayer. Our God and Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee that Thou art a compassionate God, one who is full of mercy and grace, one who is willing to save, one who does not desire any to perish, but is willing that all should come to repentance. And we thank Thee for the example of this man, one who, though in a seemingly hopeless and impossible position, found deliverance through the words of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask that Thou wouldst even speak on to us as we part our ways, that while the voice of man falls silent, that Thou would still be speaking, convicting men and women of their need of salvation. May we ask that thou would part us in thy fear, with thy favor, and with thy blessing. Go before us in the week that lies ahead, and help us to bring glory and honor to our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.